This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hello and welcome to Series 7, Episode 10 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello. I hope that whenever you're listening to this, you are having a good week. First of all, I need to thank so many of you that got in touch after Harry's episode last week. It seemed that his story really resonated with a lot of you. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend you seek it out, have a listen, buy his book, keep an eye on what he's doing. He is such a brilliant writer and campaigner and it was a real joy to spend some time with him. So have a listen. I've got another fantastic episode for you today. It's with the brilliant Sarah Keyworth. I was very excited to sit down with them and chat about identity and sexuality and their career as a stand-up comedian. They are a brilliantly funny stand-up who create interesting, exciting, poignant work that I think is brilliant. So I'm very excited to share that with you. But as always, of course, I have some listener emails. I adore receiving these emails and I love that so many of you share your stories with me. If you want to get in touch, you can. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. I'm always keen to receive more messages. Okay. Hi, Susie. I wanted to tell you how much I love the podcast. Jess Foster was my starting point a little over a year ago and I've worked my way back and forward since then. I saw your show at the Soho Theatre a few weeks ago and I desperately wanted to say hi afterwards and tell you how much I loved it. And what the podcast means to me, but it was the night that your wife was in the audience and my girlfriend wouldn't let me disrupt your evening together. It would have been fine to do that. You're very sweet. I emailed once before when you were between series and it may just be that this isn't right for you to read out. But after you put out your plea for more emails, I thought about writing in again and listening to Natasha's story. I identified with so much. I felt I had to give it one more go. Realising I wasn't straight, age 28, felt so strange and I beat myself up a lot. How could it have taken me so long? Wasn't I too old to have no idea up until now? Surely if I lived without knowing for 28 years, I could just realise it, sit with it and move on with my life. For me, the realisation came in the form of a person and a person who made me doubt the relationship I was already in. I do know plenty of people like Natasha who, while in heterosexual relationships, have realised they aren't straight and who have chalked that up as something they know about themselves and have been perfectly happy staying with their partners. All I can say is that that didn't feel right for me. I said at the time that all my life I had defined my relationships by being wanted and not by wanting. I couldn't believe that that was all there was for me. As a kid, I was nerdy, socially awkward, overweight, and I definitely took those feelings into early adulthood. And I felt that male attention was a form of currency. 
I've always been tactile and at eight or nine years old, any school friends I had deserted me as I liked hugging and so was always called a lesbian. Well, that's horrible. It wasn't until entirely out of character for me, I joined a rugby team age 24. That's when I discovered that people existed who could be queer. It would just be another thing about them, that they were otherwise normal, in inverted commas. Until then, I felt I'd only met queer stereotypes. Maybe that was partly youth. Maybe it was people's defence mechanism when they were young and afraid and didn't know their full queer selves yet. If it wasn't for that rugby team, I don't think I ever would have been open to the idea that maybe being bisexual might even be an option for me something I was even open to. The woman I met and fell in love with wasn't from rugby, although lots of my friends immediately assumed that. If you're going to turn gay, again in inverted commas, anywhere, it's in a women's sports team, right? I noticed how lots of my straight friends will now refer to me as the lesbian, which sometimes makes me bristle. I've struggled to pick a letter because with my girlfriend, everything feels so completely different to what's come before. But I don't know if that's just because she's a woman or it's because of who she is. I've actually ended a couple of friendships with people who've told me I was wrong about my sexuality and how I see it when I've tried to explain this to them. One of them said insistently that everyone is somewhere on the spectrum. So realising I was queer shouldn't have been a big deal. What can I say? It just was to me. I've also been surprised by the number of people who ask me how my family reacted with no context. I can't believe there are people that think it's just okay to make small talk with a queer person. What are they expecting me to say? That I'm immediately going to share my family trauma with a total stranger? I should really come up with a stock answer, but I'm so taken aback that I just end up rambling and saying something that makes everyone feel awkward, like, oh, my mum didn't want me to break up with my ex at all, but the fact that it was a woman didn't really bother her. She just really liked my ex-boyfriend. I still have a lot of stuff that I internalised when I was younger that I need to unpack or the things that I've misunderstood both about myself and other people. Mostly I just wished I hadn't watched so many terrible sitcoms when I was far too young to understand them properly, or at least realised how many of them were made with straight men in mind. But that's the journey we all go on, isn't it? I'm so grateful that I now have things like your podcast where I can get to grips with the full scope of queer human condition. Name free for now, please, as my story involves so many other people. I hope that you have a great tour that one is going to stay anonymous. So many emails we received from the Jess Foster Q episode, more than any other episode. So many people resonated with her story. And if you haven't listened to Jess's episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. It is such a great conversation and she is such a dear friend of mine who I love to bits. But thank you so much for getting in touch and for sharing your story. And you're so right. When people ask about your coming out story, it is such, I mean, I talk about it on stage, people asking me, inappropriate questions about my family and it just seems that people think that they can I don't know have a little look in have a little glimpse at the trauma or the story that has nothing to do with them and it's so rude it's so rude yeah I think maybe we should all come up with a stock answer maybe we should all have the same one and then uh, people can just assume we all have the exact same journey but I really appreciate you getting in touch with me and I'm so pleased that you joined that rugby team and found people like us to connect with Okay, let's have another one. Dear Susie, happy for this to be shared, although I'd like it to be anonymous, although I think it might be too long. Emails are never too long for me. Okay, 
It is so unlike me to write into something like this, but I think it's a testament to the safe space that you've created. Hearing so many different people's stories has made me appreciate the value in all of our stories, even my own, which I generally feel is pretty unremarkable compared to what some people have been through. I've been listening to your podcast since the start, but I must admit I have been guilty of mainly listening to episodes where I've either heard of the person already or where it sounds like a description of the person's story is most likely to chime with my own as a cis lesbian. I've been pretty unwell recently with a lot more time for listening, so I'm finally taking the time to work properly through your back catalogue. I'm sure it won't surprise you to hear that many of the things I've resonated with most have actually come from episodes where on the face of it, it might seem that I have little in common with the guest. This has really helped me feel connected to the whole community when on a day-to-day basis, I can feel quite isolated from other queer people as I don't have many in my life. It's something I've been wanting more of for a long time, but even more so since my wife and I had a baby last year. Huge congratulations, firstly. As everything in the parenting world is so unbelievably heteronormative, I'm so keen to meet other queer parents, but unsure of where to start. In the meantime, hearing snippets about your family by listening to your podcast and also listening to other great ones like Some Families and From Gay to Z have made a big difference. I'm just going to pause there for one minute. Mentioning Some Families and Gay to Z, which are podcasts by my friends Lottie Jeffs and Stu Oakley, I would love to just let everyone know that they released a book this week. It's called The Queer Parent. I went to the book launch on Tuesday and it was marvellous. It was so beautiful. The pink singers were there and they sang out in John's Chosen Family and I cried. But it is the most beautiful book. It's an A to Z of everything to do with queer parenting. So if you're thinking of becoming a parent or if your friends have become parents or you just want to know a little bit more or you are a parent and you're trying to work out something or other about how to talk to your child or talk to your friends about your experiences, I highly recommend the book. It is so brilliant. It's so thoughtfully done. It is really, really a beautiful, beautiful book that I can't recommend enough. Okay, back to the email. There's lots of different areas and periods in my life that I've been reflecting on through listening to your podcast, but it's especially brought me back to my teenage days. I'd generally closed off actively thinking about much of this time in my life, now being in my 30s with only really one person from school still in contact with. But hearing some of your guests' stories has made me realise how much of an impact those experiences can still have on me now. I came out at school as bisexual when I was 16. I think at this point part of me knew I was actually a lesbian, but at the time it felt to me like admitting that I liked girls was easier than admitting I didn't like boys. I felt like it would close me off to so much of the world of my friends and what they talked about if I was completely honest with them. I struggled with friendships intensely in the first years of secondary school, being bullied by those who claimed to be my friends in that cruel fashion that only teenage girls can achieve. While I wasn't bullied for being gay explicitly, on reflection, a lot of the things that were picked on were related to my queerness or gender expression. For example, not caring about wearing makeup or not kissing a boy until much later than the others. I had got to a better place of friendships by the time I was 16 and was so scared of jeopardising this that while I was completely pretending with the boys at school or male celebrities I claimed to fancy, losing the connection with friends over this just felt too hard. It feels silly to say now, but the reality of how my mind worked at the time. It never sat right with me to claim the label of bisexual and as I've got older and learned more about how harmful it can be for people to see bisexuality as a stepping stone or a phase, I felt a lot of guilt and discomfort about having used it in this way. 
I appreciate your honesty in sharing your own experience of this. And it's great that you're increasing by visibility through some of your guests on the show. I started describing myself as gay, never used the word lesbian until the last few years. Very similar journey to you with this, I think. At around 18, towards the end of my time at school, I felt like I was starting to set myself up for living openly at university. When I did arrive at uni, I ended right back in the closet, which is another story for another time, though I wonder if listeners my age can relate to the very complicated relationship with Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl, which in my first year of uni both inspired some grim homophobic or overtly sexualised conversations, but it also provided opportunities to drunkenly kiss girls in nightclubs. Back to the podcast. I just listened to Chris Sweeney's episode and his mention of living in a state of constant tension at school resonated so strongly with me. I've been thinking about this so much since. I think I still carry a lot of that tension with me to this day. For example, being on high alert for people's reactions to me and my wife when we're out and about, even though we've been lucky, if lucky is the right word, for something that should be a basic expectation to have very few negative experiences with this. I'm just starting to appreciate the cumulative impact that living this way has had on me over many years. It feels like it's finally time for me to try and shed some of those insecurities about how others perceive my queerness and start living my life without constant anxiety. I'm sure it won't be easy to unlearn these habits for almost all of my life, but I've been thinking a lot about the last question in your interviews. If I could speak to that teenage me, who was desperately trying to fit in, with her Orlando Bloom posters and fake crushes while obsessively watching Sugar Rush in secret. All I'd really want to say is that there is a future for her where she'd enjoy being out and proud and fully herself. I think I owe it to her to try and make this a reality. I also want my son to grow up seeing his mums live and love unapologetically. All this is to say I appreciate what you're doing so much. It's helping me in big and small ways. And... Uh, she asked to remain anonymous. So anonymous it will stay. But I, uh, oh, I resonated to so much of this. As you said, I think we had a lot of really, really similar experiences. So interesting that you bring up the Katy Perry song. I've been writing something about that at the moment. So it's, uh, it's interesting that you have mixed feelings about that time as well. Thank you so much for everything you said. And I wish you, your wife and your little boy, oh, just so much love. And as I said, have a read of, of Stu and Lottie's book. It's called The Queer Parent and it is just a great book. Yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. Thank you so much to everyone that's got in touch and thank you to those two people who said that I could share their stories if they remained anonymous. Okay, let's get on with today's conversation. The brilliant Sarah Keyworth. Hello, listener. I am really looking forward to today's chat. Now, many of you will know Sarah Keyworth from appearances on Live at the Apollo, Mock the Week, 8 out of 10 Cats, their Amazon special, Dark Horse, or their podcast, or their hugely successful Radio 4 series, Are You a Boy or a Girl, which I highly recommend. I've listened to it all this week, and I think it's great. I have always thought Sarah's stand-up was brilliant. Their confidence, jokes, and ease on stage was there from the first time I saw them. Poignant, interesting, and surprising stand-up, which is also, most importantly, very, very funny. But don't just take my opinion for it. They are a highly acclaimed comedian, winning numerous awards and gaining nominations left, right, and centre. They're always a huge hit at the Edinburgh Festival, and here's just a handful of excellent quotes from their Edinburgh runs and tours. Five stars, powerful, poignant and achingly funny from the Herald in Scotland. The humour is razor sharp from the skinny, utterly engaging the Telegraph and hilarious from the Scotsman. What a treat to have them on the show today. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hello. 
I was having such a British response to all those compliments. Yes. I mean, I always like to do a really nice intro because, yeah. as as people that listen to the show know, I, I don't have to do an amount of podcasts. I never have to interview anyone that I don't want to interview. And I always ask people myself. So I only ever get people on the show who I'm like, I like you. I think you're really good at what you do. Do you want to come and talk to me? So I think it's nice to be like, hey, I think you're brilliant before you start the conversation. It's really nice. It's lovely. <laughs> it's just one of those things where you're like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess that those things are true. But you don't have to say it all. Well, <laughs> see, if you were, we were just talking about American stand-ups yeah. before we started recording. And if you were American now, you... Might have been a bit more like that's how you'd be introduced correct. on stage. Yeah, exactly. Every time. Like, correct. Uh, how are you today? I'm very well. I'm good. Good. Uh, I'm enjoying the sunshine. What a boring thing to say. No, it's you fine. You've just done all those compliments about me being a great stand-up, and I'm like, weather's nice. Isn't yeah, it? that's fine. You can be you can be positive on weather. Um, loving the weather. We've yeah. got a tea each. We've got a tea each. A lovely cup of tea, actually. Thank you. That you made by your own hand. By these fair hands, indeed. A, a very good tea. How long have you been doing stand-up now? Oh, oh, 10 years. Oh my God, that makes me feel so old. Is it 10 years? It must be something like that. So maybe more now. Yeah. More than 10 years. Because I think I met you when I was like 22 and I just moved to London. Oh, I think I met you before that at the Leicester Comedy Festival. Oh, yeah, but I don't have any recollection of this. No, but i that, that's the kind of impression that I make on people. <laughs> but, well, did we gig I, together at the Leicester Comedy no, Festival? No, you were just sort of there. Floating. Floating around. Mm. I was with Rom. I was with Ramesh. No, I don't know if that's true then, because I don't think I met Ramesh for years. Maybe I was with someone else then. I'm sure it was at the Crumbling Cookie upstairs. Maybe. I remember you had long hair. Oh, yeah. Did have very, very long very hair. Very long hair. I went to uni in Leicester. And I remember you saying to me, oh, I've just started doing stand-up. <gasps> or, I've just, or I've done a few gigs around. Maybe it might have been when it, I was at uni or something. But Maybe. Who knows? Could have been. I, I like that it made an impact on me, but not on you. It sounds like me. <laughs> Sounds like something I would do. What say I'm doing? Gigging. I just started doing stand up. I will have definitely said that at some <laughs> to point. some point. That's, it's, it's to someone. That is one of my quotes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you start? I mean, we sort of often go around the houses with this. Sometimes we do it chronologically, but quite often with stand ups, we start with the stand up bit. What, did you? Were you into stand up growing up? Um, yeah, I got into it as a teenager. Who who were you watching? I was absolutely mad about Russell Howard. <laughs> were you? Yeah. Great. I think... Good stand-up, nice guy. It was a perfect opportunity to pretend that I had a crush on somebody when sure. I actually wanted to be them. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of my friends loved him as well. Yes. And he was, you know, pretty little blonde boy. So mm. we were like, oh, he's so funny and all that. And it was like, it was, it was, it was just so... It's a perfectly pitched intro to comedy Russell yes. Howard and I bought his DVDs yep. and we went to the Nottingham Playhouse together Yeah, I wore a t- this is I don't think I've ever told anyone this my friend Emily and I wore I Heart Russell Howard t-shirts to a Russell Howard show were they t-shirts you had made yourself? we had made them yes, ourselves, I was gonna say, ourselves. I'm not sure that the, yeah he didn't have merch well I don't know that was like this sort of I Heart New York style yeah um, and we did he the, see them? were you close enough to be? I have a feeling he might have seen them but ignored them I found a photograph that I'm not in Unfortunate. I think this is unfortunate I don't know why I think maybe I took the picture of all of my friends there that night with Russell Howard and I think sneakily in the corner Mark Olver yeah, I who would have been doing his warm-up? Yeah, I, I think so. But uh, Mark, I'm not in it, so I didn't share it or anything because I was like, it's not interesting. <laughs> no, Mark Olver is a brilliant stand-up, but he he's well-known for doing TV warm-up for all of the comedy shows mm. that get shot in this country, basically. 
um, or most of them at least. But that's funny. So yeah. you were, did you go to De Montfort Uni, which is a university in Leicester? Uh, did you go there sort of knowing that the plan was to become a stand-up? No, I had no, no idea. I didn't want to go to uni. I was uh, having a difficult time as a teenager. And mm-hmm. um, one of the reasons for that was because I thought I'd met the only other gay woman in the world. Okay. And she'd broken up with me. Right. And I was distraught about the idea of both of us leaving the city and not having a chance to rekindle our love because she was the only other gay woman in the world. So mm-hmm. how could this, how could okay. we do this? Yeah. Um, and I was just, I, so I was having a tough time as a teenager. Didn't want to leave, didn't want to go to uni. Um, but it was the year before the fees went up. My mum was like, you're going to have to go. <laughs> like right, kicking yeah. me out of the house. She was like, just pick somewhere. And so we picked Leicester because I got in. The grades were not particularly high. So they they were accepting me in. Uh, it was close to Nottingham. Yeah, close to where you grew up. And the students' union toilets were nice, according to my mum. She said they've got nice toilets here. And That's a big thing. It was a, bo- a low bar. I but think. it's a bonus. Yeah. She said, lovely toilets. And I didn't know anything about the stand-up scene there. Didn't know anything about the Leicester Comedy Festival. Didn't know that there was a comedy society full of people who wanted to do stand-up. Mm. All a, a mad coincidence and a very happy accident. Because I was into stand-up and I wanted to try stand-up. And mm. I'd like dipped my toe into writing jokes and things like that. But it was a full coincidence that there was this opportunity for me to like actually experience it at uni. And you said you didn't want to be too far from Nottingham where I know you grew up. For listeners across the globe, can you explain what Nottingham looks like or feels like to you? Nottingham, Nottingham to me, I mean, it's, it's shifted over the years of my childhood as well because uh, I grew up, um, so Nottingham is in the Midlands of England. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the most landlocked city. Oh, is it? Yeah, we're the furthest away from any kind of sea, mm-hmm. I think, so... Uh, a lot of concrete and I grew up in like a, a bit more of a populated area although my parents moved to a village when I was a teenager right. so uh, a lot of sort of it was very isolated okay and I'd get the bus into Nottingham city centre on a weekend and we'd just do classic teenagery things of mooching around town and going standing, to the lace market going to the lace market standing around the big square in the middle market square in the yeah. middle and just not having anything in particular to do and then just begging somebody to buy some kind of bottle of alcohol <laughs> and mixing that with orange juice or something awful and I, I my resounding memory of being a teenager in Nottingham City Centre is that I didn't know how to buy trousers that fit me so I always had a builder's bun. Oh, that's. I didn't. I didn't know what a belt was. It seemed. So right, I've just got okay. all these memories of sort of wearing trousers that were falling down. That's. <laughs> <laughs> that that's what being a teenager was. For yeah, you. like I, I just didn't, couldn't wear clothes that that fit me. Were you into like? Were you like a grunger? I was trying to wear baggy clothes, I think. Right. Like a little bit like emo kind of. But, but, but yeah, mostly there's, there's an just, age gap between us, whereas yeah. I was a grunger, you would have been more in the sort of... But that didn't mean my trousers didn't have to fit, I think. They could have been baggy no, at the bottom. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think they could have been baggy with a belt. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think those things need to be mutually exclusive. But nobody in my life sat me down and went, mate, have you thought about a belt? They just... Allowed let, that to happen. Let my ass hang out for three years. <laughs> Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and 
What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Pre-teen, what were you like as a kid? I assume it's true, because you say it on stage, but you were the first girl in your family for a really, really long time. Yes. So my aunt, Kath, I worked it out. My parents had me at... My mum was 40 when she Ooh. had me. Are you the are you the eldest or the youngest or the middle I'm the youngest, so I've got one brother and he's older than me. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, multiple male cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and now one of my cousins has two daughters. Right. But they were the next girls. Right, okay. So my aunt Kath was one of five and she had four brothers. Right. And she is more than 40 years older than me. Right, okay. And that yeah. was the closest other than your mum? Yeah. Biological? Other than my, yeah. My mum's side. Yeah, there was no girls on my mum's side either because my two cousins on my mum's yeah. side were male as well. So I was the first baby girl they'd seen in a long... There'd been a drought. <laughs> right. And was um, everyone very excited? I think so. I, my, my family, they're not particularly like overly feminine mm-hmm. women. They're quite glamorous, mm-hmm. but like not in like a really, you know, it's not sort of all kind of pink and sparkles and yeah. kind of things. But I think it was just an exciting moment to be like, what can we do differently with mm. this girl child that we haven't been doing with all the boys that we've had? And, um, you know, this is now an opportunity to have princess dresses. And yeah, right. Like pink things and pigtails and that sort of stuff. Like, I think it was just, I don't know, a bit of a break from the monotony of, yeah. of boy babies. And did you feel you were treated differently to all the boys? Uh, yes. Yeah, not in like a you have to behave in a different way. Like I, so the my brother and the two the first two cousins I mentioned, brother and my cousin Josh are the same age. Mm-hmm. They're two years older than us, and then myself and Jack are a day apart. Oh wow! So the four of us grew up. Yeah. Whereas the other cousins in that side of the family were older, ten years sure. older. So there was four children growing up and I was the girl. Mm -hmm. And largely I was treated the same, but my gender was kind of brought out against me when I was annoying them or they wanted to annoy oh, me. Right, yeah, like, sure. It was weaponized, I mm-hmm. think. So I've got I've got memories of it being like, Oh, you can be one of us and then maybe the tables would turn and they'd go, Oh, yep, I think you're getting ahead of yourself here and They'd mm. use like I've got really vivid memories of um, and it doesn't make them sound like they're they're the loveliest boys, the three of them, lovely men, now, but they were children, so I just disclose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. like, uh, I loved being one of the boys. I loved being treated like one of the boys when I was younger. Before I had breasts, I would run around topless mm-hmm. and swim in shorts and things like that, and it was a real kind of opportunity to undercut me was uh, if we were like playing a game and I was being annoying or they were upsetting me, one of them would go, ah, put a shirt on woman, right. was the the kind of dismiss. Right, okay. Yeah, and it was so hurtful because it was just the perfect sentence of like, we know what you are mm. and you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And they knew that. They knew how much I think it hurt me to just like that perfect, you know, what children are like. They yeah. can get to the root of something so quickly and, and be like, you... Was there a point, 
I'm assuming, but by how you're saying that, at that point you didn't feel sort of different to them. But was there a point like when puberty hit that you were like, oh God, I can't run around with my top off and I am different? Yeah, I kind of, I almost sort of packed myself away and, and like, um, I tried to just go, well, I'm not like them, so I'll try very hard to be different. And I tried to, I, I had short hair as a child and I mm-hmm. grew it out and tried to kind of like have different interests and like mm. different friends and like let them be the boys and and figure it like you know I was like okay it, it you know it felt like that trope in movies where it's like time for me to f- find my role in the house <laughs> yeah <laughs> right like, that sort of yeah I think uh puberty hit and I I the 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 gap between us got bigger mm. because I I also didn't I wasn't one of those confident teenagers that went like, oh, no, I'm going to be a very like strong tomboy and I'm going to mm. just keep being myself. I was very passive. Right. And in an effort to fit in, sort of folded myself into whatever. Like, you know, OK, I'm a girl now. I've yeah. got breasts and I guess I'll wear a pink bikini and I'll yeah. um, try my best to be as feminine as possible. Yes. In, by contrast of these boys. Yeah, I remember feeling very similar to that. I remember when everyone was wearing heels and I was like, I guess I have to wear heels. And I I, I really don't suit that look. And there's pictures of me where I look so achingly uncomfortable. Just so, like I look at the pictures now, like at me going to my prom and I find it like heartbreaking because mm. I'm like, oh, I had like that dress made. And like, yeah. I remember like my mum getting me these like dangly earrings and... <laughs> Wearing heels and like and and and, and like I feeling like I was in drag yeah. almost like yeah, I don't yeah. it felt so it felt like I was pretending it was like today I'm I guess being a girl that was like, it, it was a big turning point for me that kind of age prom yeah, age yeah um, and one of my friends who was like we had a complicated relationship because she was my first girlfriend but she was very feminine and mm. I think in an attempt to help me like feminized me she went oh you, you know like a kind of like wicked like glinda in wicked being like i i know how to make you like Popular. a girl yeah i can make <laughs> I mean, you a girl literally like that yeah. like let's go shopping i'll do your eyebrows I, I i know what to do with you and i think in her head it was like i'm fixing this uh, whereas obviously like what I needed was someone to go I don't think you're quite being yourself here yeah or just go you don't need to be fixed everything's fine yeah Keep yeah, yeah. but I wanted it I wanted yeah. I, f- I was so bad at being a girl that I was in the in-between where mm-hmm. I was like I feel like I'm not being myself but I'm also really failing at being mm. feminine and pretty and all that. so I was like something's got to give I've got to go one way or the other how have you found that with like regards to like now with like I don't know how much you want to talk about gender, but certainly about, like, how you feel in clothes. Like, it took me a while to, like, find my sort of look Mm. for stage, which is now, like, suits. But I don't know why, but in my head it was such a big deal to wear a shirt and tie that I thought, I absolutely can't do that. Yeah. Because it's so gay. But I think me talking about being a lesbian is 
already pretty gay that like me just putting a tie on people are like yeah fine but in my mind it was I had that about my hair yeah right yeah I remember I didn't want to cut my hair for ages because I was like I don't want people to know I'm a lesbian (laughs) (laughs) and then I'd go on stage and be like hey I'm a lesbian lesbian. yeah Yeah. (laughs) did the exact same thing but do you find that now with like what to or or did you have I know like you're very like Mm. you always look great on stage and well you always look great but I mean you've really got a look now but was, was that like a bit of a journey for you as well because I think that when you do something that's so like outwardly like Everyone look at me. Yeah. When you've had a past thing with clothes being like, I remember clothes feeling like they were my enemy. Like, oh God, I've got to wear that to please those people. Mm. Or my mum being like, I remember when I came out, my mum was like, oh, you're not going to wear a Ben Sherman and do you and cut your hair, are you? <laughs> I was like, no, it'd be a Fred Perry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like, again, it's such a, it's, it's such a difficult response where you're like, well, what if I wanted to? I really want to do that. Yeah. I kind of like looking dyke. I like the way it looks. Yeah. And yeah. That kind of fear of, I, I, I've definitely had moments like that where I remember saying to somebody at uni, it was awful, really. Um, I was wearing like a check shirt or something and I said to one of my friends, does this make me look like a lesbian? Uh, and he went, a bit. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I was like, how, what in the internalised mm. homophobia is going on? Um, but and then in my mind, I was like, well, I want I want to look like a lesbian. But then I also really don't, cause, so lesbians can know that I'm a lesbian, but I also don't yeah. want to look like a lesbian. Like It's such a d- double-edged sword constantly because you're like... Well, what does it mean if I wear these clothes? And it means nothing. That's, that's the difficult thing. It means absolutely nothing. The other day, I, re- I put on a long sleeve t shirt and then I put a t shirt on over the top of it. Mm-hmm. And a great look. Little skater boy Keyworth from 20 years ago yeah. would have been jumping for joy that I, I, that's how I used to dress. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing baggy blue jeans. And, and I, I was on. I was in Devon with my mates, and we went to a surf shop. We went to Salt Rock Surf Shop, Great. and I was like, "I'm going to buy a Salt Rock T-shirt, and I'm literally going to cosplay myself as a child." <laughs> and I was so excited that I was at a point in my life where I was like, "And I don't care. I don't yeah. care that people are going to go what a like a mask look or mm. like uh, like why are you dressing like that or why are you dressing like a ten year old boy or anything." Mm. Like that. I was like, "I think it's cool." Like, yeah, I just. But uh, that is a long journey. Yes. It takes a long time. Well, you, I know you, you said your the women in your family aren't especially uh, girly. Were sort of gender roles quite um, pronounced? Or was that something that didn't really occur either? Gender roles in my family, no. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that was like, you're a girl, so you have to do this. I think there was there was always just that slight little difference. So, like, it would be, like, an aunt might buy three sets of something for the boys and then my gift would be, like, a shampoo set or, like, a a handbag. Mm -hmm. And I... You don't strike me as a kind of handbagger person. Oh, yeah, no, I love love a handbag. clutch. Absolutely, yeah, a classic clutch girl, me. But I... And and I remember finding that infuriating as a child because I was like, I feel like everything I'm putting out into the world, if you just looked at me for like mm. a second, you'd be like, I I feel like it would be, I could just buy four of the same thing and it would be the biggest gift to this child mm. to just treat them like the, the, the brother, the cousins, the boys. Like, um, but it was this willful sort of defiance of my per- against my personality against the person I was mm. and this fascination with 
this physical difference of mine mm. that that they just kept coming back to. And it wasn't that I was expected really to behave. I don't have any memories of them making me behave differently. It wasn't like don't run around, jump mm. and climb trees. But I, like I was a tomboy. I was called a tomboy, very definitely called a tomboy. Every, the whole attitude of my childhood was like, she will she will become a woman one day. Mm. There will be a girl in there somewhere and sort of comments about boys and mm. and fancying boys and and trying to thinking about this a lot recently of like you know this whole horrible conversation about drag queens and gay people and mm-hmm. talking about being gay in school and that it's just been a consistent debate and the ridiculous notion that you can influence somebody into being gay oh, i mean as if there wasn't enough heteronormative stuff. Well, I'd be straight. If you could yeah. do it, I'd be straight. Yeah. Because I was fully just given so much straight propaganda yeah. as a child that if it were that easy to manipulate someone's sexuality, I'd be married to a man called Barry by now. Like, mm-hmm. I would have a husband. I'd have two kids, probably. Like, if, if, if that was possible. And an observation I've made is that, like, the problem that like a lot of these people have with gay people is that they can't separate like being gay or being queer with sex mm-hmm. so it's all sexualized so that's why yeah. the drag they have a problem yeah. with drag queens because they think it's sexual and they mm-hmm. don't want the children seeing sexual stuff and i don't know how many times as a child i had strange comments made to me about oh you were flirting with that man or that man was flirting with yeah. you or you're gonna break oh, some hearts yeah you were batting your eyelashes at him and all that kind of stuff and i was like i i, I was sexualized as a child but mm. in a heterosexual way yeah far and more than any i was never sexualized in a queer way no of course and of i've course. loved it i'd have absolutely yeah. loved it and i think that you're so, everything you've said i totally agree with and i think that that messaging that we were consistently given was so loud and so clear that it's the idea that there can be a suggestion over someone's sexuality, something that is so innate. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you noticed a girl? I don't I don't remember the first time I felt like because I remember I've got memories of being a very small child and being kind of fascinated by women. Yeah. Not in a sort of sexual way, no, but no, just no. in a like I want her to look at me. Yeah, I, notice I want me. her attention. Yeah. I want her to find something I do funny. Mm-hmm. And that was there from the very beginning. There's, there's, there was not an origin point, I think, from the, the moment that I could sort of uh, think beyond my own self. The interest in women, the, 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 the adoration of women yeah. was there. And um, did, did you have what we've often called on the show, uh, any of those sort of intense female friendships before realising your sexuality. For example, I remember being devastated when one of my friends got a boyfriend. Because uh, I thought that our friendship m- meant that she, she couldn't. Was sort of an exclusive relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know why, but I think I knew I was gay. Mm. from a very young age. So you knew that gay people existed. Did you have any frames of reference sort of in your community or visually well, in, I, in the world? Actually, I don't know if I knew I was gay. I think I, I, think I thought I was a boy mm. before that. That's so I 
I I have these memories of most of the time I think when you're queer your the education you get the earliest education you get of what it means to be queer or trans or mm-hmm. or anything like that is through bullying. Yes, somebody will tell you what you are. <laughs> make a comment about you and you'll have to go away and find out what that was yeah. about. And so that's so true. Yeah, yeah, like you have to go away and go somebody's called me this and yeah. I don't know what it meant. Yeah. And then you go hold on a minute. Is that true? Yeah. I have a memory of being really young and being sent to something called bandwise which I think is is was hell on earth. Hmm. I played the saxophone when I was younger and my brother played the trumpet and we were sent my mum was big on sort of summery camp things. Right. This was like a 3-day thing you go you all learn the same bit of music and at the end everyone comes together and plays it. Okay. And um what age would you have been here? I mean primary school age. Sure. Very small like so so small that I had a small child saxophone okay. rather than an adult saxophone. Right, okay. And I hated those things. I never fit in. Nobody knew what gender I was, and children made that very clear. And I, is that because you dressed like your brother? I dressed like I wore my brother's hand-me-downs. I had short hair, and I was shy. I was not a bombastic child, mm-hmm. so I had no kind of ability to like undercut this. Mm. So I just was shy in the corner and anxious about what people were thinking about me. And so often it meant that I was picked on um, and laughed at by children. Like without them even sort of properly engaging with me, and I have this memory of these three boys standing. We were queuing for something and talking about me and going like, "Is that a boy or a girl?" And then saying, uh, "Maybe it's a lesbian," and they look like that to trick women into having sex or trick girls into having sex with them. And then they were like, "Oh, or maybe like it's it's a boy in a girl's body, or it's like a." tranny or like like that kind of language of like and this is my first one of my earliest memories of hearing language like this and you hear all that stuff and you go home and you go what if I like piecing it all together with all the experiences I've had and how alien I feel and how much I wished that I was a boy I've got memories of just begging my mum as a little child begging my mum to make me a boy like sit, uh, sitting on her lap, uh, crying, saying, "Please make me a boy," and her saying, "I can't. I don't. I can't do that." And putting that all together and going, and there's this fear of going, "What I? What if I am? What if I was born in the wrong body?" L- literally going through this process of going, "What if something went wrong when I was born?" And and, and, and this is you're, you're so little here. You're I'm so 10? little. Yeah, I'm so little, and I'm going, "What if something went wrong?" And they fixed it, and they all agreed. Like, we just won't tell Sarah and we'll just raise her as a girl and that will be, like, and and then maybe one day we'll explain. Oh, like, like trying to kind of understand why this was different in my head to everyone else. And so, yeah, I, when I was at school and I really wanted my female friends to exclusively be interested in me... Mm. I was like, yeah, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make that clear. And I'm like, and I know that maybe what I'm feeling is wrong for a reason, one reason or another. And I think maybe, you know, maybe it's because I'm a boy or I wasn't meant to be. And like having these feelings of anxiety of like, don't stay away, basically stay away from these. Don't get too attached to these girls. And like I went to a sleepover as a child and they were playing this girl with the 
girl's brother was there and there were some boys there and they were playing this game where you know, everyone was being challenged to like, take off their clothes and run down the corridor. And I pretended to be asleep because I was scared that they would see me like, or they would think that I was looking at anybody naked. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and somebody would accuse me of being a, a lesbian. lesbian. Yeah, I remember feeling and, like that when we got changed at school. Yeah, and my solution was just lie down and close your eyes and pretend you're asleep. Because mm. <laughs> I was like, that's the only way to get through this evening. Yeah. Did you find it hard to make friends? I I have always met, found it hard to make friends. Mm. I, I didn't, don't think I struggled in primary school, but... Um, I definitely struggled in secondary school mm-hmm. and I struggled at uni. Right. And I often think it's because I sometimes find myself not being sure of how to talk to heterosexual people. Right. And I, I think it's a confidence thing as well. Like it's mm. just a personality thing. But I sometimes I find myself wondering what kind of person I would be if I was straight. And you just had that innate confidence that like your lived experience and the way that you look at the world is the same mm-hmm. as other people's. Unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and I j- yeah, I think I think my confidence and my ability to connect with people has been massively impacted by my gender and sexuality yeah at what point were you like because i think and i i feel very similarly Mm. so there's there's no judgment on this but i i did the opposite to you i showed off Mm. so that people would have something to talk about me yeah because i knew they were going to talk about me anyway so i thought well i'll just show off and then i sort of direct the conversation like i'm an idiot i'm oh my god she did this thing that was like so embarrassing and funny mm. she made a fool of herself for us all to laugh yeah and that way that you know they're not going to realize that i'm obsessed with them that was a bit of my technique at secondary school right as in as in like i was the ludicrous one mm. doing silly voices yeah and, and running into trees and yeah like, doing a bit of slapstick yeah which your stand-up is so influenced by now absolutely i <laughs> always do the tree stuff <laughs> i love the tree stuff love it so good when, when did you come out as gay as yes yes as gay um to my mum because mm-hmm. that's yeah i guess it's like i mean to anyone to anyone um, when when was the first when was the first time you um when was the first time you told any any told anyone living human being yeah that, that wasn't um, you know you being like oh god yeah. it would have been emily my first girlfriend yeah we were 15 16 mm-hmm. and it, because we hooked up yeah. basically um, but she told me that she was bi before right. that. We were we were best friends. Uh-huh. She told me she was bi, and it was like, oh, yeah. I've, like, I've, oh my god, there's there's another w- woman in the world yeah. who, and I'd been sort of pining after her for a while. Right. Um, so her saying that was like a revelation, and I think I maybe mumbled, "Me too," or something like that. Right. Sure. Um, so she was the first person who ever knew that I was queer. I mean, like, and then you look back and go, I mean, did anybody not know? Like, yeah, right. Um, like, my mum was shocked when I came out. I told my mum when I was 18 and she was quite surprised. And I was like, where have you been yeah, same. this whole time? Yeah, same. My but mom. my mum even now goes, it just wasn't something I was thinking about. Mm. Which in some ways I respect because I often find it... I mean, I respect it 
in as in the sense that she wasn't thinking about my sexuality, but she was assuming I was straight. So yes. so there is a thought about your yeah. sexuality there, weirdly. Like I find it strange when you get parents being like, oh, well, you know, maybe gay. But I also like, I just think the best attitude towards any child is you know, let's wait and see. Let's, yeah, let's, we don't need to know anything about this child's sexuality right now. Yeah, right. It's a little child. Yes. Um. So like, if and when it becomes relevant, we will have that conversation. Yes. And anything um, and whatever is fine. Yeah, yeah. Like we'll just be supportive. But like, I was surprised. I was surprised that it it wasn't kind of like a duh mm. moment because I'd been so but then I had been trying to be very feminine for a multitude of years and yeah. um, really trying to throw people off the scent so maybe I was just better at acting than I thought I was but yeah I told her and then we told some of our friends because we dated so we mm-hmm. told some of our school friends and it, but it was like a Secret. big scandal you know we can't mm-hmm. we, I can't tell anybody about this kind of like um, and it was a point of shame Mm. It was that we will our lives will be over if anybody finds out about this this fear like yeah. like it was only after she and I broke up that it kind of I I told my mum and uh, it was because I'd met somebody else and she was like why are you not out <laughs> basically right. she was like why, why don't you just tell people and I was eighteen at this mm. stage so. I told my mum and I think I was tired at that point. I was tired of like not having an opportunity to bring my girlfriend home yeah. and constantly lying. And Are your family religious at all? Do they follow any kind of religion? No. No? Not at all. So that mm. wasn't an added thing. And so when you did first take your girlfriend home, was the were your parents like... No. No, my... My parents, I think, were quite uncomfortable. Right, well, yeah. I don't know, because I don't, I don't really know when my dad is feeling anything. Right, okay. Um, not in a sort of really bad way, but he's just... He's quite a consistent man. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, like, he, he's, pretty, he's pretty chill. Right. But my mum, certainly... And, like, now, absolutely fine. Yep. Um, like... <laughs> She did the sweetest thing for my thirtieth birthday. She made me the biggest gay cake you could possibly yeah, sorry, imagine. Instagram, yeah, one of those multi-layered cakes where every layer is a different colour of the flag. And she was, she was like, "I'm so proud of my bride cake." And um, <laughs> so, but and she's such a an ally now. Yeah. And, um, but I think, yeah, I think it took her a while to yeah, get used to it. I think that's very normal. Dustin mm. Lance Black said a brilliant thing when he came on the show, I thought, uh, which is uh, sometimes your parents' first response isn't their best response. Yeah. And it's yeah, okay yeah. to give them another chance at it. Absolutely. And I don't think that my mum... Like, I think if you were to ask me what my mum has always thought about me, it would be, like, nothing but complete and absolute love. Mm. There's There's never been anything other than that. It's just that, like... I don't. I don't know if she'd met a lesbian before. Yeah, like, I don't same, know if she'd met same. a lesbian couple before. So yeah. to have a lesbian couple in her house, and she probably would have been a little bit awkward about me having a boyfriend. Yeah, right. Like, oh, this is you know first time, and yeah. this is my child, but yes. they're also in a relationship. Like, yeah. Then I, I don't know because I didn't, we didn't do it, so I don't know how she would have been with a boyfriend. Yeah, right. And maybe it was because I felt uncomfortable as well. Mm. I felt self conscious about bringing a girl home and and be sat, sitting on the sofa next to my girlfriend mm. watching television with my parents yeah i'm a 
teenager yeah. and that's just uncomfortable so yeah regardless of gender um, or sexuality i think that's awkward yeah um but i've yeah, yeah it, there was never um you know tears or upset yeah. or i don't want this or um i th- and i think i'm very lucky about to say I'm lucky but I'm not like that's how it should be well yeah exactly it's the bare minimum really not not that your parents are the bare minimum but I mean like you just you just want everyone to have that experience but you know I have spoken to numerous people Mm. over the seven series of this podcast where there is has has not been a relationship for a while or there's not a relationship now Mm. and uh, people finding it very hard to for their child to not be what they assumed they would be yeah really i suppose what does make me lucky is that a lot of the journey since then i have discussed quite openly Mm -hmm. in my career yes and that has given my mom an opportunity to learn without us having to sit down and have me spell things out to her. She comes oh, along to my stand-up really shows and goes, "Oh, okay, yeah, it's interesting that you think about things that way." Or like, so this is, so, you know, <laughs> if she's trying to get a bit of an insight into how I felt about myself or feel about my sexuality, mm-hmm. she can come and watch me talk about it for an hour, <laughs> which has been, I think, quite wonderful for our what a ridiculous thing to say my stand-up has been wonderful for my relationship with my mother but in in her having a very low pressure opportunity to listen learn about me yeah where she doesn't have to respond mm-hmm. um other than say well Good done. Show. <laughs> yeah and she can think about it on her own time and go away and and reflect and i'm not sat opposite her going so what do you think yeah immediate response please. yeah yeah i, th- I think that's my the radio show I wrote, I think she found it really interesting and it's great. Yeah, and her, and from her perspective of some because I talk about stuff that we went through yeah. and um, yeah, I think it's it's that's been a very fortunate position to be in mm. where I can openly reflect about my life. But I think that probably w- what you're doing as well is you're providing a very funny resource mm. because there'll be countless people that have listened to that who are having similar feelings or their children might be yeah where they can it's kind of how i feel about this podcast and i get a lot of emails from parents who say this podcast can sometimes fill in gaps where you don't want to ask yeah your child about sex or about being or, or you know whatever that thing is about their gender identity about their sexuality about what different words mean mm-hmm. if you're not from part of our community or part of this generation it can feel quite daunting I think and that's yeah and know. I think I, I think my mum and I wish that stuff like this existed when we were going through it mm. at an early stage because like now she does listen to podcasts mm. about queer people yeah. and she, she wants to learn more and, and she passes on my work to other parents so sometimes that's parents nice. reach out to her like friends and stuff yeah, reach yeah, out to yeah. her and so you know like in the space of the yeah 12 years since I came out to her she's gone from being a slightly uncomfortable mother yeah. in the in living room with her lesbian daughter to um, someone who is phoning people and going okay alright well tell me what your child said and okay well oh, uh, yeah amazing. I remember and she's amazing. trying to be a, a point of contact for people going through it and she's had a couple of different people reach out to her and say something that my, you know my child is 
not happy with their gender or their sexuality. I think they might be queer or like something like that. And my mum is like, I mean, one, what the fuck do you think I know? But two, let's just talk talk about this. Yeah, as someone who's been through it, which I think That's is quite. lovely. Your mum sounds like a legend. Yeah, she's good fun. We did a gig together. You and I did a Stonewall gig together years yes, ago. Years ago, M- my mum came to it. It's one of my favourite mum moments. Uh, there was a section that was like Diva magazine, right? And it was like supposed to be like I think like roped off. My mum found her way in. Sure, good she didn't know. She just saw a bar, walked up yep. to it, went up to the bar, ordered a glass of prosecco, and they went, "Are you with Diva?" And my mum doesn't didn't know what Diva magazine was. And my mum said, uh, I'm not a diva, but I'd like to be. <laughs> and, uh, I just love it. I just That's love really good. That she was having a great time at the Stonewall gig. And she's, yeah. Good for her. She's good fun. Yeah, that's nice. You're very honest on stage, which I love. That's the kind of comedy that I love. And you're very yourself on stage. And I love that you're very yourself on stage in very mainstream environments. Mm-hmm. I think that for a lot of people, it can be very easy to be sort of very... I don't know. I was about to say alternative. But I don't really think that we're alternative. We're just, we're just, our sexuality might be different or gender identity might be different. But we're just not the masses. Yeah, we, yeah. And some, yeah. and and you and I are the same in that we both sort of play clubs like the store. Mm. We do sort of very uh, the comedy store for international listeners is like a bit of a, it's a bit of a legendary place for British stand up. It's in Leicester Square. It's a for a long time, when I started stand-up, it was a very, 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 very male environment. I had to knock on the door. I did a, I did live at the Apollo before they gave me a weekend. Mm-hmm. It was it was so hard to knock on the door as a girl. Hyper-masculine. Hyper-masculine, full of men. Some are really good stand-up, some are not. That kind of attitude of, like, they think that stand-up is like an extreme sport and you have to have a bit of a fucking yeah. attitude about you to yeah. manage it and... Also, I think it's one of the top things that comes up if you Google stand-up in London. Yeah, so that's for sure. Why yeah. it's the, you get your stags and your hens. Yeah. And it's pretty heterosexual environment yes. for the most part. Yes. Was it a journey to you being... Because the version that we see on on stage of you now and like clips that you share of you, you're very authentic on stage and you're very confident and you're very... There's a slowness to you that I don't have the confidence to do unless I'm having a really good gig. <laughs> Did you, was that a journey for you to find that sort of what's the word I'm looking for the ease within sort of your own shoes I think this I honestly people talk about the th- slowness on stage and I, I think that's just because I'm a bit thick I don't <laughs> think that's true but like it, my brain doesn't move quickly mm-hmm. so I'm it's often like thinking about the next bit and then I think it's yeah maybe trying to hold people's attention and like but I think I think it's a confidence that I didn't even realise I had right um, so it's it, it wasn't a conscious moment of like and then I'm going to wait and, <laughs> and they're going to listen yeah um, I th- it just that developed kind of without my knowledge I think that when I was doing stand-up earlier stages of doing stand-up when I first started doing stand-up I, I for a couple of years when I was sort of dabbling in it at uni I did like pure deadpan as well I did I did that route in mm-hmm. where a lot of people do where they pick a they make an extreme choice yeah and they go I'm going to do all of these silly jokes and I'm going to do them without cracking a smile and yeah. I'm going to do it really slowly. And, and that, I did pauses for a long yeah. time um, to That's make people awkward. That's such confidence. It's, it's a, I think it was a, 
a lack of comfort it was like a mechanism right sure more go. of a trick then yeah 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 like um i'm just gonna stand here quietly and it's like i'm not doing anything and they will they will laugh awkwardly i don't think it was particularly funny <laughs> um but it was that was how what i hid behind when mm. i first went on stage so like my entry into comedy was that deadpan yeah slowness mm -hmm. so maybe that's a little bit where it came from is that like um because i still can do delivery in deadpan a little bit and i that sometimes come back to that so maybe yeah maybe that was it, it's literally just harking back to those i i don't i don't see it as a confidence thing i almost see it as like a well i know that if i kind of shut things down and stop yeah i can control a room a little yeah. bit like that oh silence is hugely powerful yeah and then talking like talking about i what one of the things that i definitely did was play for the straights mm -hmm. and i try really hard to not do that now i try yeah. to do like more nuanced comedy about being queer yep um and let the straights come to me a yes. bit because and not always i will do very like lowest common denominator yeah, course, gay stuff have, yeah. in clubs because I know that I need to come out and get them laughing as soon as possible. Of course. Um, but yeah, I think some of my early sets were a lot, lot of fingering jokes. Right, sure. Yeah, a, a lot of like, we all know what lesbians are and I'm going to hit every note of that for you. Yeah. And a lot of like, I don't look like a lesbian, so playing with that kind of... You know, I have long hair and I'm feminine, so yeah. I'm not one of those ones, like kind yeah. of thing, which is like uh, kind of hierarchy within the gays. Yeah, yeah, playing and that a, stuff. And yep. a slight, um, slight use of homophobia yeah. against my own kind, yes. I suppose. Where yep. it's like some of the jokes I was doing, if somebody, if, if a non-queer person was doing them, you'd go, "Oh, that's not very nice." Mm. Um, so I think, but I think maybe that's how a lot of people start doing stand-up is they yeah i think it's okay that our old material is <laughs> we've grown not as good as the new yeah. stuff yeah that's just a process of now yeah. looking at yourself and going i am funny enough to tackle an issue without punching down with it do you like you are very confessional on stage and like do you have a point where you go are there certain things not that i'm asking you to discuss them now but there are like you've spoken before about your, your gender and how you feel about that and is there is there some stuff on stage where you go do you know what that's not for public consumption or i'm not ready to talk about that yet or do you sort of go this is how i'm feeling today and i'm going to talk about everything there must be things that i don't talk about i think i'm quite happy to be quite honest and reflective about most things to do with my gender and my sexuality I said during my second show, I said, I, which I was, tr I was trying to sort of be quite self-reflective, and there was the thing where I said that, um, like, I didn't really know whether I was like a, like I've now come out as non-binary, but like I didn't know whether I was a trans person or whether I could dare to be a trans person because I think it's one of the bravest things in the world mm. to do. And I said, you know, I think, I think were I to be, I'd, I'd like, I'd be too cowardly. And I like kind of trying to examine that kind of stuff on stage because I think it's good for me. Mm. And also it's just a bit more interesting for an audience to have someone go, I'm a flawed person. I, I like to, to do that together, you know. I'm, I don't know everything about everything in terms yeah. of gender. And I'm not without my own kind of... As there's the internalised homophobia that still rattles around in there. Mm -hmm. The things that I draw a line on will be like things that aren't about me. 
Yes. So like I'm in a relationship with somebody who doesn't work in comedy, who has a very uh like like normal isn't yes. the right word yeah. but like she a has a proper job yeah a real job and she's a private person is the yes. word I should use and so yeah I, I limit to the things I say about her yeah same with Alice um, and I talk to her about that yeah I tell you know I say can I say this would yeah. you be comfortable with that and sometimes she says no yes yeah, same and that is a hard line and I don't try and talk her out mm. of things and I don't convince her of things and and my parents as well and there are stories that of things that happened I suppose that's the thing about being sort of queer and things is like there are some things that have happened with family members where I'm like it just makes them sound bad mm. and they're not bad they're just people it would be a good stand-up story yeah but I, I it's not worth the um reputation of this family member or this person in my life yeah and to it's, hash it out and it's not the soundbite of it might not be as nuanced yeah, as a, a, something that you might want to say mm. and you can sometimes you know when you're writing stuff you can sometimes get it wrong and then you go oh fuck that's ruined a relationship yeah and it's <laughs> not upset someone worth it yeah yeah and it's it's difficult as a stand-up because you're constantly looking for new angles mm -hmm. and new things and sometimes something happens and you go, oh my God, good, that'll keep me going for a bit. Like, yeah. You're just looking for the next yeah. little thing to go, all right, well, I'll put my energy in that and then hopefully something new will happen yes. and that will keep me progressing. And it's hard to let something go mm. that where you're like, oh, but that would be a fascinating thing for me to explore yeah, right. on stage. <laughs> But it's yeah, you have to go. Do you know what? This is not all about me, and yeah. and I'm very lucky that this person loves me and wants to share their life with me. Yeah, and I don't actually have to display every little bit of it on stage. Couldn't agree more. And it's also just nice. Occasionally, it's nice to go. Oh, yeah. We don't have to immediately run and tell everyone. Yeah, this that's just news. for me. Yeah, this has been a brilliant, fascinating conversation. I'm going to ask you the last question that I ask everyone that comes on the show, and I'm thinking of that version of Sarah when you. When you were maybe quite young, maybe when you were not getting the same presence as your brother and your cousins and you were made to feel different. If there's someone listening who's feeling a bit like that or indeed if you could pick up a dream phone and call that version of yourself and give them a bit of encouragement or if you wanted to choose a point from your life, you can do that too. But if you could get in touch with you from a while ago and uh, encourage them about what's to come, what would you say? The thing the thing that makes me saddest about my younger self is, is that, and I'm still not the most assertive person in the world, but I'm definitely better, but it was that lack of ability, like what I'd love to just sit and talk through with that child would be like, okay, how can we communicate to these people in your life that you don't want that? Yeah. So for the next birthday or the next Christmas or whatever, they they don't do that because they don't know they're making a mistake mm. unless you communicate with them. So how can we say to our family members, hey, listen, I just love what, what they had. Like, yeah. just get four of them. I mean, it saves them time. Yeah. They don't want to be looking for an extra... Look, get, grab four of the same thing. And... Every, this is a blanket for like every stage of my childhood really which is like I look back and I wish that that teenager didn't grow their hair and put on a dress 
I wish that they had like cut their hair in a cool way mm. and dressed how they wanted to dress at, at sixth form at uni at school I wish that they like I had just gone yeah I'm different I'm different to what you think that I'm meant to be mm-hmm. but I feel good and I look good and it would have saved so much anxiety and heartache like thinking about my hair and my eyebrows and my clothes and standing in shops looking at dresses going I don't like sometimes I fantasize about like inhabiting my body when I was at university Mm. and taking that person to buy a nice pair of jeans Mm. and a t-shirt and cutting their hair and just showing them what they could have been doing instead and it wasn't the personality that I had and I, I there was nobody in my life up until when I got into my 20s who went you know you'd look good with short hair mm. and it took somebody else doing that when it happened yeah I'm a very passive person Sometimes I, with almost everything in my life, I need the reassurance of someone else to go, no, you should definitely try it mm. with almost everything, I think. <sighs> yeah, I guess if there's anybody feeling really, really unhappy and not being themselves, like not being the the person that they know that they are, like if they, you know, if it's exactly the same example of like you've tried to fit in with a gender identity that is not yours, just have a literally do not be afraid to acknowledge what it is you would rather be doing just to, yeah I, I i couldn't even begin to acknowledge the thought process that maybe i should have just cut my hair off which is just maddening to me in hindsight but i was like no 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 no. you must find a way you must find a way to be a heterosexual woman mm. bonkers it hasn't worked. You don't think? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, mate. That was Thank brilliant. You. Thank you. That was so good. That was the fantastic Sarah Keyworth. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you want to get in touch, you always can. The email is hello at com, and I will be back next week with another brilliant conversation. But until then, take care. Mm-hmm.